0: We're your hosts, Dana and Kara, and this is From the Mouths of Babes. Welcome back, everyone. We're so excited. Uh, We're especially excited for our guests today. Kara and I both have a sister-in-law, and she was talking with us and introduced us to this group, um, this platform on Instagram um, called Mormon Women for Ethical Government, and I found this really fascinating, the platform that they have. And so I reached out because I thought it would be really great for us to have a conversation. Um, I think for me personally, I'll just speak for myself when it comes to advocacy work, government politics, I don't know as much as I would like. And because I don't know as much, I feel like I shy away from conversations or I shy away from sharing my stance on things. Um, I think a lot of things are very politically charged nowadays. And so it can be a little dicey sometimes in conversations to, to talk about politics, but I think it's important. And so we're really excited for our two guests. We have the senior direct director of faithful Root and co-executive director, um, of the Mormon women for ethical government with us, we have Emma Adams and Christine Hagland. and I'm just going to give some bios about them. So Emma uh, serves as the co-executive director after receiving her bachelor's degree in piano performance at Stanford university. She spent time in Boston and Silicon Valley, working in contracts, negotiation, corporate transactions, and capitalization and investor relations. In addition, she has built and run large piano studios in California, New Jersey, and now Omaha, Nebraska, where she currently resides with her husband and three sons. While seemingly unrelated, these previous career opportunities were excellent preparation for the fast paced yet methodical and collaborative nature of the work at MWEG. Every time an MWEG member writes an op-ed speaks out against injustice or expresses her opinion peacefully on social media. Emma is grateful for the chance to help women contribute their part to the complex multi-voice symphony. That is our democracy. I love that. We also have Christine. Christine Haglin is the senior director of the faithful route for Mormon women for ethical government. She is a writer, editor, independent scholar, and former editor of dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought from 29, excuse me, from 2009 to 2015. Her most recent publication is Eugene England, a Mormon liberal part of the series, um, introductions to Mormon thought published by the university of Illinois press. She blogs at by common consent. She is a member of the board of by common consent press vice president of Mormon scholars in the humanities and program co-chair for the Mormon history Associ- association conference in 2022. Her degrees are in German studies and German literature from Harvard and university of Michigan. And her research interests includes LDS women's and children's history and the intersections of religion and social media. She lives with her husband in St. Louis, Missouri. Wow. We have some powerhouse
1: women with us tonight. So
0: thank you so much for joining us. Just
1: name dropping major universities and big jobs. And I'm like, oh, they're so cool.
2: (laughs) We are super, super ordinary, normal, regular people. I promise.
3: (laughs) Yeah. I should have my kids write my intro. It would be much less intimidating then.
0: (laughs) I love it though. But I think it's amazing because we're all about the powerhouse women and education. And I think that's, that's a big part of our platform is education. And so we're excited for you to educate us uh, because like I said, this is something that is a little intimidating to me. First, I'm curious then how you guys got into the Mormon Women for Ethical Government.
2: Well, so first of all, so our acronym is MWAG. So, M W E G, we say M W E G. So, that's, you know, they've got that out of the way first. And so when we say M W E G, we're not saying AM WAY, we're saying M W E G. That confuses people a lot. Um, so, this organization was started um, about five years ago now. And um, I came on, I think both Christine and I came in pretty early. Um, and it was started really as a Facebook group by women who were distressed by growing kind of. Um, incivility and division and part of, you know partisanship in the public sphere and it was kind of i think trickling into everyday life and people were kind of taking sides and you know being unkind to each other and so who better to come in and try to you know, help fix some of these problems in Latter-day Saint women, right? We roll up our sleeves and we get to work. So started with the Facebook group of a few friends and then they didn't tell each other not to invite their friends. And before they knew it, there was a thousand women in a week and 4,000 in a month. And then we kind of put the brakes on it to take the time to build organizations to support these all these women so we have over seven thousand women all over the u.s a few also sprinkled around the world as well and um we have two organizations one that's an education organization and the one that's an advocacy organization and we work together to identify and advocate for issues that are cross the that cross political divides that are that are important to us as a group and important to us the people and and then um also, really, just as important as us coming together to advocate at all as one is helping women build the skills, the confidence, everything they need to go out and advocate for the things that they care about, whether or not we're advocating for it or not. We, it's a win for MWAG when an individual woman sees something she cares about in her community or beyond and goes and does it. And MWAG was there to kind of help empower her to do so.
0: I love that. I think the empowerment piece and the education is super important for you personally, Emma, I'm curious why this resonated so much with you.
2: Yeah. So I, I think, yeah, I I think I was, I was really drawn to politics in like the year before MWAG started very, I can't really explain it because I had spent probably a decade of my life where I had pretty much just voted when I was supposed to, according with the party that I had been a part of my entire life. And that just seemed like the best I could do because I was, you know, bearing and raising little people. (laughs) And if you'd asked me to kind of go beyond that, I would have been like, I can't. And um, the year before MWake started, I just felt like I needed to Speak up on social media about what I saw was just really growing. I was just distressed at my own political party that I had been part of for my entire life. I was kind of watching it get kind of torn apart and torn away from the values that I held dear. And I just, I don't know how to say, other than that, I felt inspired that I was somehow supposed to be a part of something. At the time, I had no idea what it would be. And I just started writing things on social media in which I was trying to just understand people and understand why they thought the way they did. And it was very out of character for me because I'm an introvert who stays away from expressing her deepest opinions, especially about politics. I just didn't see that was polite thing to do. And I just kept feeling like I should. And it was very odd. And then when MWAG started and I ended up getting more and more involved, that had kind of laid the foundation for that. So I'm not by nature, someone who really loves the game of politics. I'm not wonky. I wouldn't say it's necessarily super fun and interesting for me, but I really care about people and I care about my country and I care about people beyond my own family. And it became really clear to me as I started to dive into it, that that we needed people to engage in the public sphere who were in it for interests beyond their own and just beyond their own person and beyond their own family. And I felt like I could do that. And so that's kind of, that's why I'm here. And that's why I continue to be here.
0: Thank you, Christine. What about you? I think you have a lot of, as, as your bio mentioned, your you do a lot of research that intersects religion and social media. And I think that's a big platform right now where politics are certainly discussed. So, How did you get involved and what is the thing that keeps you involved when it comes to politics and this, this group?
3: Yeah, um, I'm a little bit the opposite of Emma in that I have always been a political junkie. One of my earliest memories is of my father explaining to me that impeachment didn't actually involve senators throwing fruit at President Nixon. <laughs> like I had, you know, I was like four, and so I was piecing it together, and I heard the word "peach," and I, you know, so um, I've always been curious about politics, and I think um, I think partly my interest also comes from having been a, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints all my life and being curious about how people behave in organizations um, in ways that sometimes are different than the way they behave in in other settings on their own or in different groupings of people. And so I've always been curious about sort of how structures of society influence people's behavior. And, um, but I am sort of, by nature, at least as introverted as Emma. And um, although I grew up in a family where we could argue, it was very, um, very abstract and, and very dependent on statistics and research. And well, no, 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 you're wrong because there were 14 studies at you know, Harvard, deal and Stanford that said this, 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 and this. And um, so it was very much a sort of intellectual acrobatics and and not very real world connected. Um, and so I, and I had been starting to feel bad about that. There was an interesting interview with Ezra Klein um, and somebody whose name I've forgotten, belying all my research characteristics here, totally forgetting who this was, but um, he talked about the danger of being a political hobbyist of just sort of you know, watching from the sidelines and gathering information and having more and more opinions but doing less and less with them. And I, I was feeling convicted of being a, a political hobbyist when um, Jen Thomas, who is Emma's co-executive director approached me about taking on a more significant role within MWEG. and I, I felt like, yeah, I, I should do that. Um, I, should, I should not just be watching, but I should be thinking about actual real world impact and, and working with other people.
0: Okay, that's really fascinating. This term, a political hobbyist, because I feel like I am not that I don't even like to watch and listen and take all the information as a hobby. I probably try to stay away from it as far as I can. So I think it's interesting here where you have potentially lots of different types of people, but the two where you have people who are not involved at all, or you have the side that is really interested in politics, but not doing anything to make any changes. Um, what would you say is the long-term effects of people who are political hobbyists who aren't doing anything to make changes or in my case, people who Are not being avoided at all. Yeah, (laughs) are avoidant. Thank you.
2: You want to take the first one, Christine? You choose which one. (laughs) Um, Sure, I'll I'll talk a
3: little bit about what I think the dangers of of political hobbyism is. Since since those are the ones I know about, Um, I I think the danger is is that you get more and more opinionated and more and more abstracted from, from the people you know. So the, the more that politics is um, a battle you're watching and observing and analyzing, and the less it is about um, interacting with real people with different opinions from you and thinking about the effects of your opinions on other people's lives, um, the more it just becomes just an, an intellectual sport. Um, and and yeah. I think that tends to, Push you into extremes, right? Like the, the more you know, the more you tend to um, interact with people who know the same things as you know, um, and and who haven't questioned them for a while, because you 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 can build this base of knowledge that you know necessarily moves you in one direction or another, um, and and never, you know, you just forget to confront the major. Um, platforms of the other side after a while you you kind of pick a side and you end up just getting pushed further and further into that silo and more and more convinced of your own opinion and those you agree with and um it's it's really good to have to actually talk to a human (laughs) who disagrees with you um instead of just I mean I could read things and I did you know sort of make a um some effort to read things from the other side but but that's not the same thing as confronting a flesh and blood person with a face that looks at you like what um you know you need you need that slap in the face of reality every once in a while to to keep your opinions honest I think yeah absolutely
2: yeah I mean I guess on the flip side of things I think um the more that I've engaged the more I I, I recognized that I was kind of abdicating and maybe being complacent. And, and again, I'm not hard on myself for that, because again, I didn't really have an on-ramp to get more politically engaged other than a political party. Sure. And in that case, that didn't necessarily, well, I had a political party. I didn't feel fully 100% aligned, like it wasn't my full identity necessarily. And so I think with, when we, when we as we've been building MWAG, I think a lot about myself not feeling like I had a way to jump in that wasn't, you know, going all the way to, <laughs> to political hobbyists, as Christine is saying, that, that had kind of a, I wanted to be able to have a real impact, but I wanted to do it with a group of women for whom I felt like we could, um, we could build each other up, we could support each other, and we could make mistakes together, we could disagree, we could figure it out together. And the more I've gotten involved, the more I see that that when we choose to withdraw completely, um, that complacency, things will happen whether or not we're involved or not. So if our voice isn't in it, then they're missing a perspective that could really help shape laws and policies and and and, and um and the conversation, the public sphere. And so I feel so passionate about Latter-day Saint women bringing all that we have grown up with. I mean, I've had a couple of times where I've been in conferences and this has happened enough that it's a thing. They say, I didn't know Latter-day Saint women could speak in public. And I'm like, Oh my gosh, we need to change that. Like that you're missing out. If you're not hearing from our women. And I, my response to them is, we've been speaking in public since age three, right? As a sunbeam, you're getting up and giving a talk in primary, that is speaking in public. Like we were raised for this. Like we were born to do this and this is really important. And so when we kind of think, oh, you know, I'm not enough or I I can't, I'm not smart enough or whatever, the the world is losing out on our voices. And, and you, we have to be brave and, and do it. Now there's baby steps and there's lots of on rounds. I'm not saying you have to go all the way to running for office, but there's so many ways to engage that can be small and meaningful. Um, and so we're all about providing those options for women so that it doesn't feel so overwhelming just to dip your toes in a little bit.
3: I want to add just a little um, something to what Emma said there about how church prepares us for this, how our church membership has prepared yeah. us for this. The other thing that I think is super important is that as we see politics in the United States just fracture so hard and divide so ferociously into um, sort of warring factions, um, I think that the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints has, if it has anything to offer the world right now, it is that we have spent you know almost two centuries now building a community that transcends ideology. That is... Um, there aren't very many spaces in my life now where I um, even have to interact with anyone I disagree with. You know, I live in a a blue city, although it is in a red state, but, you know, most of my neighbors agree with me politically. Most of my, you know, college alumni friends um, generally agree with, you know, it's easy to build a space where everyone agrees with you, but at church, Um, I have that the sorting hasn't happened quite as as much. I'm told to not just like tolerate people who disagree with me on political issues that I think are important, but to work with them and to love them. I am commanded to actually love people who disagree with me and to to, um, make that love active and real and vital in my life and theirs. And that feels to me like such an important thing to offer the world right now that i i feel like i would be um denying my heritage almost in a way if i if i didn't take this this thing that i find most beautiful about our community and share it with people
1: of that i think one of the questions we were initially going to ask was how does faith tie into our civic duty and i think you just spelled it out there that our faith is serving and taking care of the under, you know, the least of these and through our vote, our civic duties, that's how we can help, help and serve others around us.
2: Yeah, I couldn't agree more. In fact, a lot of times when we think of like, I think the, that young woman's theme, it talks about home and family. And, and I have felt so many deep impressions. as I've been involved in political work that, that, that my, my work is advocating on behalf of homes and families other than my own like it's been so clear to me that that is 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 part of what we're called to do and so i think about other families i think about other children i think about other mothers i think about those in situations where they may not have access to to what i have access to and why is that are there perhaps systems and laws and things set up in a way that make it harder for some people to succeed and It does feel like an obligation, like a Christian obligation to seek to change laws that are unjust or even laws that aren't even meant to be unjust, but just end up getting in the way of mothers taking care of their children, for example. So it feels to me just like a a very natural extension of, of the work that I do with my own my own children and my own family, and my own community, it just feels like I'm just extending my mothering out into the world. And it, it doesn't feel unnatural. It feels just, it feels just, just, just right to me.
0: So as we've been talking, there's so much here that I'm like, okay, what direction do I want to go? Because I think the climate currently, and I will say within our church is that we try to stay away from politics in the sense of like the church is not saying you have to be one party or the other. Um, so trying to figure out what exactly my question is, I guess, how, how can religion and politics coincide without clashing? Because as it stands right now, I feel like they can't, but I'm sure there is a way for them to coexist. What does that look like?
3: Um, I'll start and then Emma, you can pick up trail off into being uncertain. Um, I think, you know, most religions um, including ours have a lot to say about how human beings ought to live together Mm -hmm. Um, sort of what the shape of our shared life should be and and that's politics right I mean it 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 can be other organizations but um, in any sort of unit larger than you know a few thousand people you really have to have some kind of government and and that's politics so our our civic involvement is Um, an expression of our religious convictions in a lot of ways about how God expects us to care for one another and steward the resources that we've been given. Um, And a way that I think, uh, you know, we often think that the division, uh, the separation of church and state means Mm -hmm. that those two things should be completely different and not, uh, you know, that, that somehow they could be completely separated. And, and I don't think that's true. I think we, we wrap ourselves into you know, pretzels when we try and imagine that, that politics and religion can't have anything to do with each other because of course our religious beliefs shape our political intuitions and vice versa, yeah. right? Um, and so I think the way that we want to think about um Politics is not that it legislates our personal religious beliefs. So, for instance, you know we're commanded in the Word of Wisdom to eat meat sparingly, but I don't think any of us would be inclined to try to enact, um, you know, summertime vegetarianism as a an enforced policy of the government, right? E- even though, you know, we we ought to try and abstain from eating meat um, except in winter and times of famine. Um, we also probably wouldn't um, want to pass a law that enforces Orthodox Jewish traditions of not using electricity on the Sabbath, even if we could make an argument that that's good for the environment or something. You know, we might be able to come up with an argument by which we could enforce this religious belief on other people, but mm-hmm. we don't we don't want to do that, right? Because, right. Um, you know, at some point, somebody with a different religious conviction than yours is going to have more power than you do. But politics is, you know, political engagement is a a space where we can try to maximize the liberty of everyone to live and worship according to the dictates of their own conscience, as our article of faith says. So we want to maximize the space in which people can choose to express their religious beliefs. Um, And so that means, I mean, that's where um, ethical government comes in, right? We, We are really trying to think not about. Partisan platforms, but about processes and the kind of integrity that allows the preservation of liberty of conscience.
2: Yeah, I mean, I guess I would, I would add. I think we have a lot of examples about how not to use religion in politics, um, and not not to get negative. But like, that's actually been really helpful for me is to yeah. think about what it looks like to weaponize your religion in favor of your politics. And we even created a pledge during the 2020 election series where we kind of did the series of things that we all pledged to and asked people to pledge to who are members of our church, ways that they would they would um, use their faith and their religion to be something that informed their politics that I mean, an example would be, I could say, you know, my beliefs lead me to this conviction, which leads me to support this. But if I was weaponizing it, I would be saying you all should vote the way I do, because my religious beliefs tell me this is the best way. So that's that's kind of weaponization. And what's happened in a lot of the United States is that sort of weaponization has just gotten out of control. Mm -hmm. And so you have people who are very suspicious of people of faith for that reason. They see us as those who were trying to trot on their liberties and you know, and, and, and trying to enforce our faith. And that is so dangerous. It, it, be, it makes us less effective as spreaders of, of a gospel and spreaders of the good word of God because everyone is suspicious of us. And it also just makes us not very nice people to be around. Um, and so, I, I, that there's a lot of ways not to do it. Um, and I think we're very careful as an organization because we obviously we have the word Mormon in there, which makes it clear. We're not officially the church, which kind of is comes in handy these days. Right. So we're very clear. We're not the church. Um, we're a group of women whose faith, we don't want to just set it in a box aside as we're engaging with the world. It's part of who we are. So we utilize it as we're speaking, but we're very careful when we speak as an organization with the name of our organization to make sure our words don't do that sort of weaponization. That it's, it's, it's an authentic expression of who we are and the doctrine we believe, but it's not dictating that everyone needs to look at it the exact same way we do. And so we're mm-hmm. honoring the agency of everyone and we're not coercing. We're trying to be persuasive. As Doctrine and Covenants 121 says, we're trying to persuade rather than manipulate or coerce. And if we could just get all the people of faith in the U.S. to look at politics that way, we'd be in such a better position, both politically and I think within our different faith traditions, people would be more open to listening and understanding who we are if if we would take that sort of approach, in my humble opinion.
0: (laughs) I'm so glad that you say that and you differentiate that because as Christine was talking when, you know, when she talked about like how, as you know, with our beliefs, this is how we want, like we all, this is what we believe, how God has told us to treat, you know, everyone to treat our brothers and sisters. But I think, um, as you mentioned, Emma, that that can become coercion and manipulation when we make people because of our religious beliefs believe act a certain way or believe a certain way. Um, and I think that can be dangerous as, as you both mentioned. Well, I would
2: just add one more not to do that I've kind of understood but really learned the hard way is I really, I, I think we have a place in our church meetings to talk about things like racism and refugees and moral issues, right? But when we start to use any sort of church meeting, whether it be sacrament meeting or Relief Society or Sunday school to push forward a particular political ideology or even a particular law or such, when individuals take it upon themselves to assume that everyone in the room or everyone in the building, everyone in the church has the same religious beliefs as them, Mm -hmm. that fractures our community and and I have, you know, I have at times people, cause I work in politics. So people at church will ask me questions and I have learned to say, hey, great question if you want to talk during the week about this separately offline or honestly in a lot of cases I've had women want to know how I would vote because they assume oh you're really well informed so tell me how to vote and I decline (laughs) and I say hey I'm happy to point you to resources but I don't ever want you to again abdicate that I want you to think for yourself I want you to research for yourself I want you to understand and I want you to feel good about what you're doing and saying so while I do believe that our faith and our politics can inform each other in the actual like church meetings, you know, partisanship, you know, the, you know, uh, certain political ideologies should never be stated as being the one, you know, or, or I just, I feel very strongly that the the church's, the church's guidelines on that in the handbook are spot on. And I adhere to those.
0: (laughs) Yeah. As we've been talking there, it's inevitable that when you're talking about government, you're talking about politics, there's going to be opposing viewpoints, which may lead to conflict. So my question is, how do you address conflict in constructive ways to build peace rather than conflict that deteriorates an organization or a platform?
2: Yeah, I mean, I would start to say first, we have to distinguish between conflict and contention. That word, we we have some of our strongest scripture about contention. I mean, it's of the devil, right? You can't get any more clear about that. And so, but conflict is an inevitable part of just living in a world with people who think and look and act and live differently. And conflict is not a bad thing. Conflict is is just natural. It's just part of life. Um, I see contention more as something that is more intentional, there's hostility involved, perhaps, you know, there's st- when, when it's used in the Book of Mormon, it's often used in the context of stirring up and it's often used in the context of inter-family <laughs> relationships, which is really interesting. Hmm. Um, so I think reframing that, yeah, please, Christine, jump in on oh, that. I was just gonna say, it's also almost always violent. It's almost um, always violent. The
3: times that cont- the word contention is used in the Book of Mormon, there's almost always been physical violence. So that's important. yeah,
2: yeah. So unless so, you're coming
3: to blows in relief society, it's probably not contention. Not,
2: not contention. <laughs> yes, indeed. And and honestly, have, having three boys, blows are common. So yes, contention exists within my household. Mm-hmm. Um, but conflict is an opportunity to create something, to create harmony and peace that wasn't there before. And so that can be a really hard kind of mindset shift for those of us who maybe our conflict style is avoidance or accommodation. I'm guilty of that. I pref- as an introvert again, I would prefer that we not figure out the source of our conflict and address it and work through it because that would involve lots of talking and emotional energy. Um, and so and so that is, that is kind of my natural stance. And so I've learned over, honestly, through MWAG and through the work that we've done with a program called called practical peacemaking and having to kind of engage with politicians and people who think differently than I do, I've really learned to really love the process of conflict resolution and what it teaches me about myself, how it helps me get to know and love others. And honestly, how it helps me be a peacemaker in the truest sense of the world, to make is to create peace. It just shows up by itself. You haven't actually made it. It's just there, and oftentimes maybe it's not real peace. Maybe it's something that's just shallow, and there's some tension under the surface that we're just pretending is not there. So when you think about real peace, um, it's a real privilege to be able to 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 help resolve conflict, whether it's between you or someone else, or maybe you're the third party, and. Um, I, I think constructive peace building is very strategic. It's something that really allows people to learn to understand each other better and can be really soul enhancing and wonderful. So, I mean, I started out feeling same thing, kind of politics is yucky, it's messy. I don't want to get involved. People are going to disagree with me. We're going to hate each other afterwards. And my experience through the work with MWAG is that there's actually something unexpected and beautiful on the other side of it. And it helps me become a better person. I hope that it helps those I'm interacting with become better. And honestly, it's made me a better mother, a better wife, a better sister, all those sorts of things. Because if I can do it around political stuff, I also can maybe transfer some of those skills over to those interpersonal relationships where things get dicey with great regularity. (laughs)
3: Um, I'd maybe add that um, one thing that's been helpful to me in this, pro- in the practical peacemaking and just the discussions that we've had in Emwig is that um, I've learned to talk about the distinctions between negative peace, which is just sort of an absence of conflict and positive peace, which is a sort of deliberately created community in which everyone can thrive to the maximum degree. And also the difference between individual peace and societal peace. Um, and not for any particular reason, I don't think, and not even deliberately, but in church, we generally speak mostly about individual peace. We talk about peace as an emotional state, you know, the right. inner peace of Christ as, as something that is given to each of us individually. But in the scriptures, um, like in Fourth Nephi, where we have you know the closest that we have to a Zion society. Uh, there's no talk about how individuals felt. It's about how they lived together. It's about a peace that encompasses everyone together. And it's a a way of of living and organizing society in ways that are just so that that there is this positive societal peace and not merely the absence of conflict. I mean, absence of conflict is a good place to start, right? Like, it's important to not be, um, you know, fighting all the time. But that's not that's not all the way to peace. And um, yes, you can have personal peace in the midst of societal conflict, but that's not where God wants us to stop. Uh, um, if, if we're to believe the scriptures about Zion, we're we are supposed to go beyond that personal feeling of you know calm and um, contentment to actually caring about the people who aren't enjoying that and what we can do about it.
0: So question, as you've been talking through this and maybe we can all talk to this together because in my mind, I'm like, okay, so as you mentioned, Christine, there's a difference between personal peace and societal peace. And in my mind, I think like, okay, well, when I have personal peace, it's because, you know, for example, I'll just like, if you have sinned and you repent, you feel peace in your life. Right. So there's, there's not the, the discord or um, lack of harmony. So then if we want societal peace, then is that actually attainable? Is it because if everyone is going to have their own opinions and it, I don't think that God wants us all to be the same, to have the exact same viewpoint, you know, is societal peace even possible then when we all continue to have differing viewpoints?
3: Um, it's, I think it's possible. It's not easy, but, you know, we do have a couple of scriptural examples, the city of Enoch and then the people of fourth Nephi. you know, who actually managed to live for, um, you know at least a, a couple of hundred years yeah. um, in peace and um I can't imagine I, there were well there were more than five people, so of course they didn't all have the same opinions about everything right um uh, people people have different opinions so I do think it's possible I also think it's really hard yeah. um, and um I, you know we sp- we spend a lot of time um learning and telling each other in the church that out of small things proceedeth that, which is great. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and we know that sometimes rewards have to be delayed. Like Moses doesn't get to go to the promised land, right? In our, in our current um, come follow me study. Most of the things in the world that are worth doing are impossible for one person to do alone and are likely to take generations of work um, and being committed to the goodness of a world that, we will not experience is the essence of what Paul calls faith, right? He, he gives the, in Hebrews chapter 11, Paul gives this litany of of people who lived in faith. And he says, these all died, um, died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off. And mm-hmm. um, I, I think, I mean, I kind of hate it because I'm, you know, I'm into immediate gratification, at least yeah. as, much, as much as the next person. <laughs> and it's really hard to think I'm building this thing that I'm never gonna see. Um, but I, th- I think that is what people of faith have always done um, and, and will continue to do um, until the second coming uh, at least. And, uh, you know, I think we are called to be dreamers of dreams. Um, mm-hmm.
2: and and visionaries love that yeah i mean and i would add the way that i kind of wrap my brain about it it's going to be less it's going to be more pragmatic and less beautiful and poetic than how christine sees it (laughs) yes you can't in case you already can't tell we have we come at things from really different directions politically i mean many different ways we're both introverts we have that great we're both musicians but um so the the way that i was thinking about the past couple years is that I, i believe that a just god has set up some sort of has I believe God is just and there's a pathway forward for us to accomplish the things that he set for us and and so it seems to me that we've been placed on this earth in a way such a way that our our needs and our wants all bump up right against each other and cross over each other and are always putting us in friction with each other and that's one of the ways that we learn how to grow but I think one of the keys is that we each, so this is where the personal piece and the personal work comes in. One of the, our life's work is to kind of grow in humility and wisdom such that we can honestly assess what of these things are actual needs and wants and what of, these, what of these things are actual wants and what of these things are needs? What are these things are right? What are these things I actually need to achieve my full potential? And when you start thinking that way, you realize that a lot of the things that you thought were requirements for you to function in this, in this on this earth are actually more like wants. Yeah. And so sorting through collectively, to me, politics in many ways is collectively sorting through what are my needs and my rights, if you want to kind of look at them interchangeably or kind of the similar type of thing versus my wants. And as you start to recognize that I have a want that's totally encroaching on someone else's need or right, then you start thinking like a Zion society and you start saying, okay, that want is actually... I can let go of that because you need this thing to survive and to thrive. And I just, I have to believe that, that God set us up this way knowing that we would bump up against each other but that there was a pathway forward. And as Christine said, I mean, again, as a mother I'm willing to do this for my children, my grandchildren. My, I mean, we think about our posterity. We think about those who came before and those who came after, it's worth it. If we can make it a little bit closer to something that that you know that we can that that my my great-grandchildren or my great-great-grandchildren or whatever it is that's that's why I'm in it right
1: love that i've just been thinking about like all like the real world things have been popping into my head and like my desire kind of how dana was saying like i really want to be involved but don't know where to start and the older i get the more like more of a feminist I become and I, and more of a desire to be an advocate for the injustices, especially for women and children. Like we have a loved one who has just been so abused by the Utah court system. Like she has been trampled on by bad judges and bad law and people not showing up the, the, especially, and we know that through the court system through 2020 and the pandemic, they're just backed up, they're backed up for years. But the women and children are suffering, and I just kind of have watched this. And now I now I live in Utah, so I feel like maybe maybe now my voice can matter. Um, I actually have a vote in Utah, now. <laughs> and I just it's so I like I feel very stuck, like I don't know where to start, I don't know how to advocate for women and children. But I'm like, have none of you listened to the Cold podcast? Do you know what happens when the government doesn't protect women in the state of Utah? Like, <laughs> <laughs> so I am. I'm just really curious about some of your guys's advocacy work, and you did mention before we started recording that you guys started a lawsuit against the state of Utah, and. I have a feeling it has to do with advocating for women and children, Um, but where where can we start, especially when it comes to like being an advocate and trusting that our vote can matter, especially in local elections?
2: Yeah, so I think um, one of the best places to start is with really good information. So if you to, you want to be a good voter, that's that forms the base. And in fact, actually our lawsuit is actually about voting. It's about gerrymandering and making sure that every vote counts, that we mm-hmm. all have a voice in, in choosing our elected officials and, and such. So that, so that really, all the work we do, the, the vote is at the base of it, both mm-hmm. as v- creating kind of principled, educated voters, as well as protecting the rights of everyone to vote. Um, so, so I would say that becoming and a well-educated voter is within all of our reach, no matter our situation, no matter the amount of time that we have. And this is why MWAG exists. This is literally why MWAG exists, Kara, is for you, right? To, get, to help walk you through the skills. And so the very first skill I would say, I mean, certainly peacemaking is one of them, but I would say media literacy, learning how to, to choose good sources to read and, and um, making sure that you're reading a variety, but you're setting yourself up in a way that it's, it's sustainable. You don't go out and like do 10 newspapers and you're like, I'm gonna read all of them, I'm gonna read 10 million, you, know, I'm, I'm, you, you make it very sustainable. You make, you make it, I'm gonna choose this much time each day and I'm going to make conscious decisions about what sources I read. And I'm gonna learn how to be savvy. I'm gonna learn how to distinguish between opinion and news because it's not always obvious on the internet and I'm going to learn those sorts of skills. That is the first step because if you start advocating off of bad information, you're going to fail one way or another. You're going to find lots of people who love it, right? Because bad information is way more exciting than real and good and true information. But I would say that is the very first step is becoming a savvy media consumer and we have got you covered. <laughs> Believe me, that is our specialty. Is is helping women learn bit by bit how to find good sources and how to use them and read them regularly.
0: Okay, man, that's like a whole conversation in and of itself is media literacy. And so, there's definitely more that I want to pick your brain about that, but maybe we'll have to do like a separate episode for that because like all your classes. I know. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, well, so that's helpful to know. So do you guys have a bunch of classes that teach each of these different things like media literacy and peacemaking? How would someone come and learn and, um, and use the, the resources that you're talking about?
2: Well, we have many of them just available publicly on our our Instagram platform and our, and our Facebook platform. So those are two really good places to start. If you want to learn a little bit more, but you just want to observe for a while. I mean, maybe you have kind of some stereotypes in your head about women who are in politics and what they may or may not be. Just give us a follow on Instagram. And if you follow us for long enough, you'll recognize that. You know, again, we're just normal people who are trying to do good in the world. So we we do put out we 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 really think about women in particular, in Latter Day Saint women. We know you we know that we all wear many hats. We know that we are involved in our communities. We have callings. We have jobs. We have people we're taking care of, and so we try to make sure, especially with our media literacy that we're not like writing like 10 page treatises for you to read in order to get involved. We're actually giving you memes where we give bite-size information in a way that's easily digestible. But then we always list our sources at the end. So if you wanna go deeper, you can go to our website and give a deep dive or you can go to the sources that we list. So with media literacy for now, I would say, Follow us on Instagram, and we also have a a link to our website where we've linked to all of our media literacy stuff that we've written so far, and just go at an easy pace. You don't have to figure it out all at once. It takes, being a good media consumer takes practice. And so you make a commitment to do it. And then the other piece I would say is, you know, joining with our community, we kind of work through it together, right? We evaluate sources together. We think about things in in our discussion groups and in our volunteer spaces, and we kind of ask each other hey what do you guys think about this so having people to discuss it with really helps and with the practical peacemaking this is a very specific kind of set of of, um, of um, programs that we've put together with a professional mediator who's one of our one of our colleagues who's a um, professional mediator her name is Emily Taylor and she's kind of broken down um, the first I think one was about all about Evaluating what is your conflict resolution style and there's like five different ones like avoider, accommodator, competitor, um, I think collaborator and there's one more. So knowing yourself and kind of figuring out what your style is and then she walks through listening skills she walks through kind of in bite sized pieces and 30 minute chunks. Um, you know, how 30 to 45, sometimes we go along about um, how, how you can become someone who's a more proficient peacemaker. And so I would say the media literacy and the basic peacemaking kind of conflict resolution probably form the foundation. So truth and peace form the foundation of any um, well um, any uh, effective advocate. So those two things are places you can start, even if you're not ready to jump in completely yet and join us. And if you want some more customized guidance through that, or just follow us, if you just want to, you know, dip your toes in and take a look.
0: I love that. Okay. I have two more questions. One of them might be a little controversial. We'll see, but I, as you were talking Emma earlier, um, I'm kind of backtracking a little bit. You mentioned something about how differentiating between what is a right Right. We're, we're thinking of like human rights. And one of the questions that I had is that what if a human right conflicts with a religious doctrine? And what I mean by that, an example that I'm thinking of is, and I think Kara's smiling because and I'll just maybe Kara can give more details. But for example, Kara's husband um has same-sex attraction. And so this is a, a hard thing within our religious community, right? Because uh the narrative has been like human rights. Well, it, the right for someone to love and be loved, or the right for everyone to have it, to be married. Um, that is something that has been discussed pretty regularly. But when that human right conflicts with what we deem as
3: religious doctrine, how do you reconcile the two? Christine, you want me to go first, or would you like to? (laughs) I definitely would like you to.
2: Okay, well, so I would say um, a couple things. First of all, um, so as far as MWEG is concerned, like marriage equality is the law of the land. Like that's not something that we touch or will advocate for or against. We've actually picked, there's actually two things that we have we have decided as an organization are political wedge issues that are weaponized by both parties. Mm-hmm. So that's, that's, bar- that's same sex marriage and that's abortion. And yeah. so we're not gonna give you our personal opinions about those other than to say, you know, watch out for those from either political party yeah. who will say that this is the only and most important thing in the world and all your political decisions should revolve around this one issue. Yeah. And we see that as leading to actually kind of unethical choices in voting a lot of times. And, mm-hmm. and we see it manipulating people. Um, so 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 we, we really, we, we, we stay away from those two things. Now, that being said, I mean, with LGBTQ rights, like the church has been, as far as what are considered like conservative religions the church has been pushing the envelope at, you know in terms of like the the catholic community and others in terms of trying to make sure that there are laws that protect housing you know anti-discrimination things like that and and while that's not one of our current Formal advocacy areas. So many of our women feel incredibly passionate about that and use yeah. the tools of advocacy we've taught them to be vocal and open advocates in the public sphere to make sure, like Arizona, just passed like a fairness for all um, act um, that that many members of the church were very much involved in crafting. So, so I, so I, you know, you asked a really tricky
0: question. Yeah, sorry, that was <laughs> no, amazing. no, and, and I, and I,
2: I'm not trying to cop out of the answer, other than to say, like, like beware of those who who use these issues and make them kind of tests um by which you all of your voting decisions need to be based around um one or two things one one thing usually and with a lot of members of our faith it's abortion um and again i think it's both we've seen it on both sides and we've seen how destructive it can be to the conversation um so So I hope that that answers your question to some extent, but feel free to probe a little bit more if if you feel like I missed it.
0: No, I think what I'm learning from this conversation is that it, there are ways for you to have differing beliefs and not be pigeonholed into one political party. I think that's the key here is that I think in my mind personally, and maybe other people can relate to this or, um, feel this way as well, is that I think, unfortunately I've I've grown up in a way where I feel like it's like, it's very black and white, right. But there's just so much gray. And I think being able to be comfortable within the gray and being comfortable picking and choosing, uh, what things resonate with you. That's just the, the day and age in which we live in. And I think when it comes to politics and advocacy work, like you're going to advocate for the things that your soul feels and sets your soul on fire, you know? And so I think being okay with not everything is going to fall under one party or not everything is going to fall under, you know, the perfect solution, but that peace is attainable personal peace and societal peace is attainable line upon line. Um, and as Christine mentioned, that scripture of. Um,
3: Seeing the vision afar of off.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and being okay with that. And that I, I, one thing that I found was really interesting from your Instagram that you guys mentioned is that there is a difference between peacemaking and peacekeeping. And. I think when we are just complacent, that's what it's peacekeeping. We're just trying to keep the peace. We're trying to avoid conflict, but peacemaking is being intentional about the things that we are doing, whether that's conflict resolution, whether that's conversations, whether that's just hearing someone and understanding their point of view, that's really, I think what we're after here.
2: I mean, I think about Eve a lot. I think about Mother Eve. In fact, this there's an Instagram account called Brave Like Eve, and Mindy Brown actually spoke at our conference a couple of weeks ago. And and as and as we've made some really tough decisions as MHC, I'm, like, I'm like, be brave like Eve, be brave like Eve. And I think you talk about the gray, and I like to think of it more as like tension. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's almost always in life, like and, and throughout the Scripture. I mean, there's all these commandments or things that, you know, there there are these doctrines, these things that don't seem to line up like in this perfectly neat puzzle. And I think that is our legacy as women is to be like Eve and to look at the places where there's tension points and where things seem to conflict and see, well, is is there either a third way that we haven't maybe identified and, or maybe the tension is the point. Maybe Mm. I'm supposed to sit in this space where I don't, fully see the answer, but maybe my own personal um, leanings might be over here, but the tension I'm supposed to sit in is to try to understand this, what's going on over on this other side. And that can actually make me a more complete person, if that makes sense. Like I think about it, you know, obviously in terms of faith and works is one, mm-hmm. um, and think about it in terms of like perfectionism versus um, kind of just, you know, do whatever you want, you know, yeah. you know, and, and they're not, sometimes they're extremes, sometimes they're things that actually you're you, I struggle to kind of to kind of figure out how they fit together. And, and I've learned over the years. And I think honestly, political engagement has really helped me to sit in those spaces where the answer is not super obvious. And, and I, I, I and I think I have to think that's maybe a little bit intentional on the part of the Lord in terms of some things in our scriptures and doctrine, because we're supposed to hang there and grow there rather than sort ourselves into one side or the other.
3: Yeah. And I th- I think that um, thinking of it as black, white, and gray is limiting. I think actually in that space between black and white, if you hold up a prism, there's a whole rainbow, right? That there's not the absence of color that's black or the totality of color that's white, but there's this whole spectrum in between that is beautiful and makes up the the part-colored world that we see around us. and, And from which we are supposed to learn, I think, to love variety and imperfection and, um, difficulty and tension and, and, all of those things, um, that, you, you know, hold the world together. Opposition is, is glue. Um, it's what keeps things working. I love that. What a
0: beautiful visualization. Thank you for that. Well, this was such an enlightening conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, so jazzed have- up. I just i know.
1: Go. like, okay, I'm ready to vote. I mean, <laughs> actually have to register like change my, uh, ID and stuff to Well, and Utah, to Utah is
2: a fairly easy state to vote in because you moved from Texas, right?
3: Yeah. Texas
2: mm-hmm. is a very hard state to vote in. Utah is a much easier one. So you're going to find it. You're going to be very pleasantly surprised.
0: <laughs> That's That's well, <laughs> I'm going to start with the media literacy because I feel like it's a, it's a good place to start. So I'm going to start there and I'm pretty excited about that. So thank you. Thank you for lighting a fire under my bum. <laughs>
1: Mm -hmm. Our ladies, thank you so much. I just, I I think we could, we probably still have 10,000 different questions for you, but you have lives. Um, so we can just transition to everyone's favorite segment. This came out of the mouth of my babe. (laughs) And I guess I can go first since I'm talking lately. So I have three kids. Um, almost eight year old boy, girl, twins. One of them is on the spectrum. He always says crazy things. And then we have a a six and a half year old little boy and he is a, Oh, he is crazy. He is a (laughs) lunatic. So he's been the one lately that just like everything that he says with his, all his speech impediments is just a gem. We had to, all the flights were booked up for us to come home from spring breaks. We ended up renting a car in Phoenix and driving back home to Utah it was the whole thing, but we're, everyone's freaking out in the car and Parker screams, Gavin, grab
3: your horses.
1: Like, I love when they like mix up phrases and I'll share one more because I have a lot lately. And he says to my husband, he's complaining after a workout that his legs hurt. He's like, why do your legs hold? Are you skipping arm day? It's like, you don't even want your arms to be strong. <sighs> he's definitely skipping arm day. <laughs> And now uh, my kids are all fighting. You can start to hear them in the background, probably. <laughs> no, I haven't been
0: able to hear them, but also my kids and husband are out there. So you probably hear them because this we just moved into our house. And so we we things are empty. So I feel like this room has been kind of echoey. Love that story. Okay, Christine, do you have a story?
3: Yeah. Um, and my kids are all big now. My baby is 21. Um, so this is a long time ago, but when my daughter was about seven. Uh, we came out of church one day and it was hailing. There's just a, a hailstorm. And she looked up, she looked at it for a second. And she put one hand on her hip, shook her other little fist and said, what's next? Locusts. <laughs> <laughs> and so, so now I can never get through the section of Exodus that we've been reading this week without just falling apart all the time. <laughs>
2: That's
0: hilarious. Uh, I love oh, that. the babes. Emma, what about you? Do you have a story? Well, so
2: about? I have teenagers and then a nine-year-old. And so I, at dinner, I had to ask, I had to get permission because <laughs> they, they're a that little bit important. embarrassed about yeah. the fact that their mother speaks in public. And so I'm very careful about what I say. Um, so, but I did get permission to tell a story. Um, we have a little bit of a history in our family of floods in the basement. It's just mm. kind of a thing. Um, and our very first family flood kind of goes down in family, you know, lore. And we were in our house in New Jersey and we had just rolled out carpet because my whole extended family, my whole family was coming to visit the next day. And we had worked really hard to get the basement in order. And we just rolled out brand new carpet and we would gotten all ready. And the next morning we come down and we walk down the stairs and slosh, slosh, walk into like deep water. And my then two-year-old comes down the stairs and he steps in it and he just goes it's raining in the house all my toys are wet and we got it on video I don't (laughs) know how or why I had the I had the actual like you know you know wherewithal to do that and it is now like our family's favorite expression and we've used it multiple times since then and almost every single flood has been human error child error, husband error, no mom error yet. (laughs) There's been a couple of weather incidences, but we now have this phrase that whenever we have water in the basement, we all go down there and say in our best two-year-old voice, it's waning in the house. Love that. So
1: cute.
3: Uh, Love the babes.
0: The other day we just moved. So things have just been a little chaotic. And I think she is kind of noticing my stress and anxiety. And she turns to me and she says, what's wrong, mommy. I'm here for you. (laughs) And I was like, oh, you're so sweet. Uh, That just like warms your heart. Right. When they say that, and you're like, oh, nothing's wrong because you're just so sweet. I could just kiss your face right off. There's no better reason than to do the work that we do and the work, especially the work that you guys do than to advocate for those sweet babes. I think that's, that's more than enough to get me to actually make some changes in, in my, uh, community and to use my voice for good so that at least our children can see a better world as a result of, of the work that we do. So thank you again, Christine and Emma for joining us. Um, we will provide links in our show notes for, um, M M did I say it right? MWEG, yep. Um, for MWeg for their Instagram, for their website, so that you can uh, see their resources, you can engage with them. Um and if you have more questions for them, you can reach out to them directly. But thank you again. And we if you've enjoyed season two so far, we would love it if you would rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. And if you will go engage with us on our Instagram platform, that's at from the mouths of babes podcast. Thanks for joining us this week. And we look forward to connecting with you next time.
1: This week's episode is sponsored by mixers individually packaged vitamin drink mixes that give you vital nutrients in a quick effortless and delicious mocktail form made for all of our women babes by babes. Our goal and mission is to have conversations that uplift and empower everyone to reach their potential, know their ultimate goodness, recognize their babehood, and use their voice for good. To do that, we could all use a little more energy and a boost, and that's why we love Her Power. Her Power is a non-stimulant energy supplement that provides stamina, concentration, mental support, and mental clarity. Struggle with racing mind and anxiety or feeling constantly tired? I do. I do. Her power is your answer. Show up in life focused on point, full of energy, but without the crash and habit forming behaviors that caffeine can cause. If you want a little more energy and a little boost, follow the link in our show notes or our Instagram link tree and use code MixHers-Babes. That's M-I-X-H-E-R-S-Babes for your 10% off your order. You can even use it on your first month of subscription, which gets you 20% off. So add our 10% code and the 20% off subscription code for a total of 30% off and give Mix Hers a try.